Father, we do thank you that you are the one who lifts our head. You deliver us from trouble. You cause everything to work together for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. And we praise you that you are using all the things in our lives to to conform us to the image of your Son. And I thank you that you draw us close uh, through different situations that we might be ready to hear your word and allow your word to work in us. And so I thank you for this morning that we have come together to look in your word. I pray that we would be attentive, that we would not allow ourselves to be distracted, but that you would be glorified in our response, that we would leave understanding and then being able to do what you want us to do by your power and strength. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, throughout Scripture, God likens uh, us, the body of Christ, uh, to a building uh, built on the foundation of uh, the apostles and prophets, the Word of God, through with ultimately built on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And we're a building that is being built up, First uh, Peter chapter two, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Uh, he's changing us, that what we do would be that which is pleasing to him. And this building is being built, in a sense, one brick upon another as God's word works in our lives. And so I want to ask the question, what is the condition of God's building, uh, speaking of you? What is the condition of his building project as he builds you up into the image of his son? Uh, is are you being built up? Is it getting, being more and more like Christ, or or has your building fallen over? Are there are there is it in a shambles? Are the walls broken down? Are the doors uh, of self control wide open? Uh, are the gates burned? What's the condition of his building in you? Well, today we're going to see how to be restored spiritually when our building is not doing so well when things have uh, fallen over, when we've neglected uh, our relationship with Christ, whatever it might be. And these things not only apply to, to, to those who need to be restored, they also apply to those who are walking with the Lord Jesus. So with that in mind, we're going to look at the people's example of how to be restored to the Lord. Begin to look at that today. So would you turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 today. Now, as we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, we have seen that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia, the superpower of the day. And he was in a very important position, and God had raised him up, in essence, as we will see, uh, for a specific uh, task. Indeed, Nehemiah hears of the conditions of what is happening in Jerusalem and the walls being uh, rubble and the doors and the gates burned down and how the people are, are not doing well uh, there. And he hears about that and it brings him to his knees in prayer and he prays for four months, basically. He fasts and prays. He's concerned. He weeps over it. And eventually it appears that Nehemiah realizes that he is the one that God has chosen to help them out. And he prays again that God would grant him favor as he comes before the king and he does make his requests. He has prepared his request to go uh, rebuild the walls, to go to Jerusalem, to go uh, to, to do this task 
Um, and he is wise in how he does so. He gets uh, permission and letters. He gets uh, letters for the king's force to get the, the supplies he needs. And he does arrive in Jerusalem, but uh, immediately we see there's opposition. Uh, Tobiah and Sanballat, those evil men, uh, hear about it, and it is a great evil to them that someone would come to help the Jews. And so we see that he does come, and he looks around, and he, he, he scouts out what is needed. He doesn't tell anybody wisely. He scouts out and sees what's needed, and he goes to the people. He shares how God's good hand has been upon him, and within that, uh, he encourages the people to arise and build, and they do, and they do. And we see then a summary in chapter 3 of how everyone works together uh, to build these, this, this wall, to build it up, and they do. But then we come to chapters 4 through 6 where we see and gain insight into the opposition that has formed satanically through men to thwart the Israelites, to cause them to be discouraged, to give up on the work. And we see that, uh, first of all, they were uh, uh, ridiculed, and then they were uh, threatened. Uh, they were uh, tempted to fear. He was tempted to sin. Uh, all these different plots and plans by the evil one through uh, those evil men. But Nehemiah kept turning to the Lord, and God was gracious uh, to deliver them. And we're going to see kind of in parallel, and we have to remember this, because this book has the first section, which is the rebuilding of the wall. The second section is the, section is the rebuilding of the people. We're going to see as we get to the second section, we must not forget the first section because it was littered with opposition. And as you decide to be rebuilt, you decide to follow the Lord rightly, you're going to have opposition. You're going to have those same things happening spiritually, in a sense, to thwart you from uh, being in the Word of God and from responding to the Word of God. So, yes, we're going to see how we're restored, but we must not forget that there is opposition and how Nehemiah and the Israelites had victory over the opposition by trusting the Lord and working, not giving up, but trusting. Everything's going to tempt you to give up on becoming more like Christ because as you start, all hell breaks loose. As you get determined to be in the Word, whatever it might be, determined to obey. But we need to remember to keep working, to keep letting God build us up, as we will say. And so then we came to uh, chapter 7 where uh, just after chapter 6, the walls had been built that successfully, 52 days, amazingly, that God through Nehemiah and the people had accomplished the task. The task. And so we came to chapter 7 uh, where Nehemiah, uh, within a few days of the wall being completed, appoints uh, leaders for Jerusalem, and he makes these statements concerning that Jerusalem was vast, and, and, but yet there were not many people there, and not many people living in houses there. And the implication was there needed to be Jews in that city, which was now had the walls rebuilt, the Lord's city. And so he was prompted by the Lord to look at the genealogies of those who had originally came, and we saw that in the rest of uh, Nehemiah chapter 7. And now we move to Nehemiah chapter 8, where we're going to see specifically how the Lord restores his people, how he restores his people. Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to see through the example of these people, and we'll just start to take a look at it today. 
Nehemiah chapter 8, and all the people were gathered as one man at the square, which was in the front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. Remember that, by the way. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, again, that phrase, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mataniah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah and his, at his right hand, and Pedadiah, Mishael, uh, Malchigah, uh, Hashbaham, and Hashbadanah, and Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. While lifting their hands, then they bowed down low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now that's what we're going to look at today, but I want to read past this just for context for us to up to verse 12. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sarabiah, Jamin, Akpub, Safbethai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josephat, Hanan, Pelaliah, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book, from the, from the, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Note that. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught, notice that, the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to, the, to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, or literally a great joy. That's really a better translation, a great joy, because they had understood the words which had been made known to them. Do you see a theme here? Certainly do. Understanding the truth, understanding, as we'll see later on, responding and then doing what God wants them to do. So as we begin here, we see that Nehemiah turns to the spiritual rebuilding of the people and so how is this done? How is this done? Well, we're going to see it is through God, through his word, rebuilding us, that we would be those who glorify him. But how are we restored? Notice from their example, the first thing that we're going to see, we must have a desire to be taught the word and then gather together, and we must have a desire to be taught the word from those who God has ordained to teach it to us. As we will see, uh, verse 1, 
And all the people gathered as one man in the square, which was in the front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Now, it's important to realize that in the end of chapter 7, the very second half of verse 73 really should go with this portion here. It really should. Um, It should be the first part of actually chapter 8. Remember, the verse numbers are not inspired. They were added in later, and and what a blessing. They're a convenience for us to try and find where the scriptures are at, but they were added in. They're not inspired. Notice in the second half of verse 73, and when the seventh month came, the sons of Israel were in their cities. We're going to see underlying the restoration for these people is the reality that uh, is the reality that they were to be living in Israel. And in chapter 11, we're going to see that after they're restored, they come back and they volunteer and they, they decide who's going to live there. They're doing the right thing, okay? And so this restoration happens in between this, uh, this portion here. Uh, we know that uh, Jerusalem was empty and unpopulated, as we saw uh, we know that uh, in chapter uh, 6, verse 15, the wall was completed on the 25th of the 6th month. Now, the Jewish calendar days are 30 days. Um, we see some 29, but 30. Um, and so just a few days from that, and if you look at verse 2, it says it on the first day of the 7th month, chapter 8. So this is only a few days after the wall has been completed that these Jews are calling for Ezra to bring the word of God. They're calling for him. It's just a few days after they have successfully, by God's grace, completed the physical wall. And again, uh, it's interesting, you know, right here it says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. Now, you might remember when Nehemiah took his tour, uh, we talked about the different gates as we walked around them as he took his tour. The water gate is on the east side of the city, and, there, and it's quite interesting, the water gate, symbolic maybe for the washing of the water of the word, by the way, certainly possible, but we have a square in front of that, an area where people can gather. And that's what we see here in the square which was in front of the water gate. Now, this is the first day of the seventh month. And you might say, well, why are they gathering this day? Why are they calling for Ezra? Well, you might say, well, that's the first day of the seventh month. Um, uh, Leviticus 24 or 23, 24 says, on the first day, you're to blow trumpets and have a solemn assembly. It's the feast or festival of trumpets. And it's quite possible that's the reason they assembled. But I'm under the impression in the context that that's not the reason why they assembled. Because we're going to see later on, they didn't even, they weren't even aware of the Feast of Booths, which should happen on the 15th of that month, until they read the scripture. And then they said, wow, we got to do this. So I don't think, I think they were gathering simply because they were thankful for God completing the wall. They were thankful and God had moved in their hearts. And they were gathering. And it wasn't as though the priests came and said, now we're blowing the trumpets, let's gather together and we're going to read the word. No, they called for Ezra to bring the word. They were calling him to bring the word. So that's my thought. I'm not sure exactly uh, why they gathered there, but certainly we see they gathered because they wanted to hear the word of God. It says, and all the people gathered as one man at the square, which is for the water gate. And it's so important. And what did they do? And they, middle of verse one, asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. They're the ones asking. 
It doesn't say Ezra came and when the trumpets blew and read the word. No, it says here they asked. They gathered and they asked. God is moving in them. And that's the first thing. When you need to be restored, God has to move in you. There needs to be a conviction that things aren't right, that I need the word of God as we're going to see. I need the word of God. I may not be there. I may not. I still don't feel like things are right, but I need God's word. And as believers, there needs to be that conviction. There needs to be that yearning, that yearning for God's word. Indeed, First Peter chapter 2, we are to yearn for the pure milk of the word that we may grow in respect to salvation. We also see in Psalm 1, the blessed man. Psalm 1 was already written by this time, by the way. The blessed man meditates in the word day and night. Psalm 1. And so the first most important thing concerning spiritual restoration is you need to have a desire to get to the right place, which is to get into the word of God, to get into the word of God. And they did. They asked Moses, they gathered Moses, they, they asked Ezra to get the law of Moses. And notice what he says here, the law of Moses, uh, which, which the Lord, which, uh, excuse me, the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to them, right? The law of Moses. Let me read that exactly. It says here, they asked for Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, um, which he had given to them, which the Lord had given to them. God had given them the word. God had given them the word. Now, what's the book of the law of Moses? Well, that's what we call the Pentateuch, and that means five. It's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And it is the Lord who gave that to Israel. He gave physically the laws we saw in Sinai, but he also gave through Moses, Genesis, and these other books that Moses wrote inspired by the Spirit. God gave it to them. When someone says, oh, that's just what Moses wrote, well, no, God gave it to him. God gave them his word. We see that in this passage. This passage proves that God's word, at least the first five books we see later on in Second Timothy, all scriptures inspired, but these first five books are God's word, which he gave, which he gave. And so then he says here to, that the Lord had given, and so they were gathered together, and they're calling for Ezra to bring the word of God. To bring the word of God. So who is this Ezra person? Who is Ezra? Um, well, first of all, he was a priest, verse 2. And we'll see, verse 1, he was a scribe. He was a scribe. Uh, the term scribe in general spoke of a distinguished professional in a sense. Uh, one who performed duties that might be associated with lawyers or the government or taking notes, whatever that might be, a scribe. It makes sense, like, you know, someone who scribes things or whatever it might be. But concerning religiously, it came to speak of someone who was an expert in the law of God, an expert in the law of God. And some 14 years earlier, uh, we see that Ezra was granted permission by King Artaxerxes, and he brought 2,000 or so with their families to Jerusalem, along with treasures to fill the temple that they had get, gotten from, they had received from King Artaxerxes, and also with the authority to establish the law and the scripture as their authority. And that happened 14 years earlier. Turn to Ezra uh, 7, chapter 7. And again, I mentioned this during our service 
earlier, but that the book of Ezra, the first six chapters are about the first return of the Israelites from Babylon, which has to do with uh, uh, a parallel portion with Haggai. Uh, and then later on, we see here, this is the second return, which was 13 years earlier than when Nehemiah came, now 14 years here or so. Uh, so Ezra chapter 7, uh, let's take a look at verse uh, 6. Then Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe, notice what it says, skilled in the law of Moses, skilled in God's word, uh, which the Lord had given, Lord, which the Lord God had of Israel had given. Again, inspired by God. God gave it. God gave it. Uh, and the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Isn't that great? That is so great. And some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests and Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is in the seventh year of the king. We're going to see these Levites later on teaching the word of God, too. We're going to see this group uh, Ezra's uh, hanging out with. It's a good group, okay? He's a priest. And with the Levites, those who are going to teach the word of God. And then look at verse uh, verse 9. For on the first day of the month, he began to go up from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. That's uh, f- f- five months, right? F- four months. Uh, and because the good hand of his God was upon him. This is going to tell you about Ezra. Ezra makes their quest to do what's right, to, to go to Jerusalem, to, to, to reestablish the temple in a sense. You know, the temple had been rebuilt, but it wasn't functioning the way it should. And Ezra, with a desire for God's glory, as we're going to see, uh, desires to go, and God granted that. And then notice here, he made it because the good hand of his God was upon him, but he's going to explain even why, why God's good hand was on Ezra. This is wonderful. For Ezra had set his heart. You know, we have a choice to set our hearts on all sorts of things. Sometimes we're very loosey-goosey with things. We don't really set our heart on it. Uh, maybe that's with church, maybe with the Bible study, maybe with uh, prayer. We don't, or or we, we set our hearts to do something. Ezra had set his heart to what? First of all, study the law of the Lord. Notice it is the law of the Lord. It's God's law. We would like to say the law of Moses. Well, no, it's not Moses' law. God used Moses to bring it. God brought it forth on the mountain also, but he also had Moses right. It is the law of of the Lord. It is the Lord, the Yahweh, the self-existent one. It is his word. To study it. That doesn't mean just to read it simply. That means to study. Think about if you're in school, you're studying things. You're, you're really analyzing. You're, 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 you're studying it. And notice what he says, really important, and to practice it. That means to do. He set his heart to study God's word and to do it. To study it and to do it. And then notice what he says here. And to teach his, that's God's, statutes, that's the Lord's statutes and ordinances to Israel. He had set his heart to do this. This is Ezra. This is Ezra. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. He is a scribe. He is one. uh, And oh, what an encouragement this must have been for Ezra. Fourteen years go by, not much spiritual activity. The people are, are just as broken down as the walls. And not much going on, uh, not much response to the word of God as we see. And all of a sudden, they're calling for Ezra for the word of God. Fourteen years. And Ezra's ready. Ezra's ready. 
He had set his heart to do this. And praise the Lord. And this is an encouragement for you pastors out there who have been preaching and teaching in season and out of season. And there's not much response. But when God moves and he calls it, just be patient. Trust him. Preach the word in season and out of season. And what an encouragement this must have been for Ezra. They're asking for the word of God. Ezra, bring the word. Wow, that's amazing. So here we see a tremendous reality. The people want to hear the word of God. And this is where spiritual restoration begins. A genuine desire to hear God's word. Not to hear some fancy preacher that tickles your fancy, but to hear God's word. And as we will see from God's teachers, not from ones you accumulate from your own desires. From those who will teach his word, preach his word, those who are faithful to it as Ezra is. And they call the right guy. They don't call someone else. They call Ezra. He's the guy. And praise the Lord to bring the word. And this is where we start. It all begins with God's word. Now, you're never going to be built up. You're never going to be restored spiritually until you have uh, a desire for the word of God. But if that desire is cockeyed, if that desire is messed up, or you're bringing teachers after your own desire, teachers who tickle your ears, you're never going to be built up. You're never going to be built up by seeking teachers who, who simply uh, you enjoy rather than teach you the word of God, who are faithful, who set their heart to study, to do, and to teach God's word. Paul would tell Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For a time will come when they will not endure sound teaching, but wanting to tickle their ears, they'll accumulate teachers after their own desires and turn aside to myths. And we certainly see that now. But if your spiritual house is in shambles, you need need to get into the word of God and you need to hear it from those who are faithfully teaching and preaching the word of God. That's who they ask for. That's who they ask for. They ask for... Ezra. And you're going to want to assemble with others. You're going to want to assemble with others together to hear the word of God. So first of all, we need to be in a place to hear and be taught the word of God. And then, as we're going to see, we need to listen attentively. We need to listen attentively. You know, all hell breaks loose when church is starting to distract us from everything. Oh, what's that noise? The music's too fast. The music's too slow. Uh, oh, I'm being distracted. What are they wearing? What's that noise? Oh, it's a pen clicking. Ah, there's all kinds of things happening, right? Or there's so much stuff going on in our heads. All hell breaks loose to distract us from being attentive to the Word of God. And we're going to see from their example, when they were being restored, they were attentive to the Word of God. And there's some preparation that was involved in being attentive. There was some preparation that we need to learn from, that we need to learn from. Back to our passage. And all the people were gathered as one man in the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given him. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He brought it before them. And this is, I believe, as we're going to see, verses 1 through 3 are actually a summary. Because he's going to talk about, in verse 3, reading it from morning till midday. Then, verse 4, it's going to talk about him opening up the book in the beginning. So what verse 4 is really an explanation going on of what happened in the summary. But we gain principles from both of these things. But remember that 
As we move from three to four, he begins to share more specifically what happened when Ezra came and even opened the word up. He hadn't even been reading it yet. You see? So verse one through three, a summary. And then notice what happens. Verse three. And he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women. It's going to be repeated here. Those who could understand all the people and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. This is really important. That's your summary. He read it. They were attentive and it was all who could uh, listen with understanding. The term uh, in Hebrew, bin, means to discern, to, to discern, to, to make a clear judgment, to understand something, to see it rightly, to see it rightly. All who could listen with understanding. You see, that's, uh, uh, you know, we have this principle here for our church, uh, that our services, preaching and teaching happen, and Bible says, are for those who can listen with understanding, who can listen. Now, that's not speaking of small children. Indeed, that's why we had a children's church and a nursery. And it's up to parents to discern and understand when their children can listen with understanding. Understanding. Now, we understand when a church is small, we don't have some of those opportunities for children's church or whatever it might be. And there might be children that need to be in the service. But we need to remember and be careful that we don't train them by virtue of having them here to ignore things. They come in because they're not paying attention because they can't understand. We've got to be careful we don't train them. And that's why even in our startup, in our plant here, eventually we will have that children's church and that nursery so that those with understanding can be in here listening to the Word of God. Listening to the Word of God, okay? That's, uh, that's what we plan to do. And so here we see it's listening with understanding. And so then how does God restore us spiritually? He, how does he build up the broken walls, torn and burned down doors of our spiritual building? First of all, we need to have a desire for God's word. And we need to desire to be taught from men who are skilled by God to bring forth his word that we would be taught. Indeed, uh, this means we don't look for ear ticklers. Uh, we look for gifted men who are trusting the Lord, who are relying on him, allowing his spirit to speak through them. Indeed, Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12 in terms of the, the, the authority of gifts, the, the level of the authority of gifts. He says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, we find that here. And God has appointed, verse 28, in the church, first apostles, second prophets. Now we had that foundation laid, no more apostles and prophets. It's been laid, the foundation of apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2. And third, teachers, teachers. Uh, we know from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction. There are those who are to instruct you, or literally to tell you, to exhort, to place into your mind. We know from 1 Timothy chapter, thir- chapter 4 verse 13, Paul tells Timothy, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Give attention to that, Timothy. We know from Ephesians chapter 4 that he gave some as apostles, uh, verse 11, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints to the, for the work of service, to the building up, there you go, of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith, that's in Christ, and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. We know from 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, I solemnly charge you to Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge. And that's after saying all scriptures inspired by God. It's all scripture that's profitable and sufficient and that we'd be adequate for every good work. He says, who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. If that's not happening to you in church, you are in the wrong church. We need to be reproved, we need to be uh, uh, exhorted, uh, we need to be uh, instructed with great patience and instruction. And he says here, for a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is they, that's not you guys, that's they, not endure sound doctrine, but will, wanting to have their ears tickled, that's what they hear. It's going to make it sound. It's woo-woo. Uh, they accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desire. And this is what I'd say to you. If you're looking for a church, you better not do this. You better not look for a teacher according to your own desire. You better not. You better look for someone who preaches the word in season and out of season. Those who are faithful to their calling by the power and strength of the Holy Spirit, by the Lord in them. Teachers, according to their own desires, will turn away for their ears from the truth and aside to myths. Hebrews chapter 13, remember those who led you, these are the leaders, who spoke the word of God. The word of God, that's what they did. That's what they did. So how does God restore us spiritually? First of all, we need a desire for God's word. And we need to be in the context of allowing God through his teachers to build us up. To build us up. We need to have a desire. What did Jesus tell Peter when Peter had failed? Do you love me? He says, uh, tend my sheep. Literally feed. Uh, shepherd my sheep. And then literally feed my sheep, Peter. That's what you should be doing, Peter. You see, because it's the feeding of the word of God that protects the flock from things. It's when the flock is fed and, 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 and sees the Lord rightly. It's protected from those uh, evils of false teaching, whatever it might be. So we should have a yearning for the word of God. And that yearning should not just be simply, I want to hear the word. It needs to be followed up with being in the right place. Ezra, bring the word and teach us. We need to have that heart. We need that heart. And if you don't have a church to go to that does this, get, get into another church. And if there isn't another church in your area, move. The reality is being built up in this life is much more important than where you live. Be in a church that builds you up, that grows you in the, in the, in the faith, that you're focused on Christ. We need to be built up. And the Israelites had the right view. But secondly, not only do we need to be in a good church being built up with the word of God, not only do we have to have a desire for it, that's not enough. We need to listen attentively. There's a lot of people in very good churches who are not listening attentively, who are not coming to a right understanding that changes their lives. They may be there, but there's something in the way. And we're going to see that we need to listen attentively. Verse 3, back in Nehemiah chapter 8. And he read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand. That's that principle. And as we grow here in this church plant, we're going to do that. That's our desire, right? Those who can understand. 
And all the people were, what? Attentive to the book of the law. Now, they read it for quite a, quite a while here. Quite a while. From early morning means dawn, really, from the first light to midday. That's a long time. You know, I find people have a problem if the sermon goes late at times, you know. The reality is we should be so enthralled with the word that we're just absorbed. And I'm so blessed at times where I don't know how long it's gone. And people, then I see how long it's like, whoa, that was long. And I go, oh, I didn't know that. The reality is we're just in the word and we're being blessed by it. Being blessed by it. Acts chapter 15, verse 32, and Judas, this is a good Judas, and Silas, that's uh, Silvet, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. If you're a pastor, you like that, right? You like that. Lengthy message. So here, all who could listen with understanding and all the people, end of verse 3, were attentive. This is a summary. We're going to see in a moment why they were attentive and how they were attentive. This is a summary. They were attentive. It literally, you might have an, that word in italics. It literally could say it this way. Their ear was toward the word. Their ear was toward the word. You know, it's not towards the pen clicking. It's not towards the, the, the machine blowing the air in here. It, it's a, there's all kinds of distractions, but their ears were towards the word. They were attentive to it from morning to Midday. You know, sadly, we have uh, those uh, who don't want to be in the Word of God. Uh, they may be tempted to think, oh, it's to this, too much, or that. That tells you your heart's not right. It tells you your heart's not right. You know, we're going to see in a moment that we need to see God's Word rightly. When we, come, when we become politely bored with God's Word, we're in a troublesome spot because it is actually the Word of God. It is God's word, and we should have an expectation coming to church. We should be thinking in advance, God is going to speak to me, not through the pastor, but through his word. He's going to speak to us through his word today. It's a very important time. And so they were attentive. But sadly, we have a, a, a society of wicked pastors and who, who cater to worldly Christians and non-believers who can't endure sound doctrine, so they shorten their sermons. I was checking a church of some people who were looking around for a church. I was looking at it. The sermon, 23 minutes or so. You, you, that's not, I'm sorry, that you can't teach the word in that little of time. It's just not enough time. Something's wrong if that's all you can endure is 23 minutes once a week. Something's very wrong. Uh, Judas and Silas, among them being prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. And now if the message is really long, we do not have the Apostle Paul here, in case you fall out the window, right? You guys remember that from Acts? Uh, guy fell asleep and fell out, right? Um, but the reality is we need to have a desire to attentively listen to it. If we don't listen attentively, we're not going to be built up spiritually. And maybe that's just why you've been in a good church or whatever it might be for a long time and you're not being built up. You're not attentively seeing it as what it really is and seeing that God might change you and make you more like his son. They were listening literally with intent. I look at, uh, it's interesting, all who could listen with understanding. Verse 2, listen with understanding. Verse 3, with understanding. Uh, verse 8, and they read from the book of the law, translating to give a sense that they would understand the reading. 
Uh, verse 12, and all the people went away to eat and drink and sent, sent portions and to celebrate the great festival, as we'll see, the great joy, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Uh, verse 13, then on the second day, the heads of the fathers, the households, and all the people, the priests, and the Levites gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. You know, you're never going to gain insight. You're never going to understand unless you're attentive. Unless you're attentive. It is so important. It is so important. And as we're going to see, this means you need to prepare your heart to hear the word of God. You need to teach your kids. It's a holy time. You teach them. This is an important time. We're coming to hear God's word. We're coming to hear God's word. Same thing when you come to the word by yourself and you look at it. It is God's word. It is God's word. We need to learn to be attentive. We need to learn and prepare for all of those satanic distractions. It's going to come. It's too hot. It's too cold. What are they wearing? All these different things. Uh, the pen clicking. It's going to happen. The audio is too loud. The sound is not. We need to focus our hearts on worshiping the Lord and not being distracted. Not being distracted. Personally, we got to make that choice. we got to make that choice choice so not only do we need to have a desire for the word we need to listen intently with a desire to understand to understand so now with this summary um they were listening with intent but now he moves to the specifics which we're going to see reveal the preparation that we need to have in our hearts to listen intently and to understand There's some preparation that needs to go on in our hearts. Verse 4, And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for this purpose, for the purpose, and beside him stood, and I'm going to hash these names up, but we'll give it a try, Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah on his right hand, and Pedadiah, Mishael, Malshaiah, uh, Hasham and Hashbadanana, <laughs> um, and Zechariah and Meshulam on his left hand. These guys are up there. These are probably Levites, by the way. Some of them are. We'll see later on. Uh, those who would actually help explain the word of God to the people. This is a full-on teaching time, an explanation time. Praise the Lord. And so we have this, uh, this, and then we have this, this kind of description of what happened. Verse 4, and Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for this purpose. Now, we're going to see in the next portion that he was standing on a platform. He was above everyone so that they could see him. And this is why we do this in church. That's why we have a platform, so that everyone can see the person teaching the word of God. Now, there's also interesting, some say that's what that word podium means, but that's really not what it means. The word podium means tower. And it's my belief and it's others' beliefs that that's speaking of like a pulpit, He's on an elevated platform with a podium, with a tower. And that's how he is bringing forth the word of God. And that's kind of where we get our practices in the sense of having a pulpit on, on a stage in a sense or whatever it might be. We, we see this here in Nehemiah. And Ezra, the scribe, stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. And besides him stood in all those guys, okay? And notice verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people when he opened it, and all the, all the people stood up. Here we're going to see something, our first clue into how to be able to listen intently. We need to have a honor and respect for the word of God. 
these people who had not been so honoring the word, I believe, their hearts were being changed. They came expectantly, as we're going to see, to hear God's word. They came expect. They all stood up. They stood up when Ezra opened the word of God. Now, we have in our churches these days, mostly a lot of Baptist churches, that we have, they'll say, stand for the reading of the word. And they'll stand and they'll read a passage and they'll all sit down. Well, here we're going to see they stood for when he opened, but then after he prayed, they all bowed down. And they were obviously sitting the entire time from the light to the noonday when he was reading the word. This is an, an initial movement of respect for when he opened the word of God. You see what I'm saying? It's a visible respect. And that's where I think we come very short, where we do not see God's word for what it is. We kind of take church lightly. Oh, go to church. Yeah, okay, great sermon, whatever, you know, bad sermon. We, no, we are coming and gathering and assembling to hear the word of God. It is really important. It is really important. And if we don't have that view, it's God's word, and that's what he uses to change me, then we're not going to be attentive. We're not going to hear, and we're not going to understand. And maybe that's your problem, why you're not growing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, the apostle Paul praised God and thanked him because the Thessalonians, in their salvation, received the word, not as the word of men, but the word of God, which it really is the word of God, which performs its work in you. And who believe. Now, we all did that when we were saved, but we can kind of start to lessen it. We hear, okay, and I've heard of stories that people say, I've, you know, uh, why does is, why is he not go to Bible study anymore? Well, he's already, he knows all that already. Wait a second. The reality is, yes, we can know a lot. We can know a lot of the Word of God, but it's still God's Word, and it's still powerful. We need to have a reverent respect for it. I'm not saying a rote ritual for it. Now, I'm not saying those who stand for the reading is a rote ritual. It can become that, certainly. You know, but if you're going to do that type of stuff, read the whole passage. Maybe do the whole thing, raising the hands and going down on your knees. Well, so we need to be very careful because this is really a heart issue. And secondly, we need to be careful not to judge others in where their hearts are at. We don't know. We don't know that. So let's just learn for ourselves here. So first of all, when he opened it, the people stood up. This is where our hearts need to be. Our hearts need to stand up. When the word of God is being read, when we're going to hear it, they need to be attentive, attentive. You know, when something important happens that you have respect for, you know, the president enters the room, dun da da dun da you know, and that's not that song, but uh, everyone stands up. There's an attention. There's a respect. This, this is a visible sign of respect from the people for the word of God, and we've become politely bored with God's word at times. And we've taken it for granted uh, we throw our Bibles here and there. I'm not saying we worship the Bibles, but it's God's word. We need to respect God's word. We need to have a raised view of it, what God does with it. We saw back in 2 Timothy 3.16 that God uses all scripture, that it is his, his word breathed forth from him, and he uses it profitable for teaching, for, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate continually adequate, having been fully equipped. It's really important. And we see that here. This is, I think, a change for these people. They are seeing things. Ezra's influence in what God did through him in building the wall and, 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 and the victory over their enemies, uh, his influence is, is, is moving. Not Ezra, but Nehemiah's. And they call for Ezra. And when he opens it, they have this respect. So we need to have a reverence for God's word. Turn to Isaiah 66, verse 1. 
And it's easy to take it lightly. You hear it all the time. You're in a good church, you hear the word all the time. It's easy to go, okay, yeah, you know, <laughs> don't do that. Because you will not listen attentively. You will not see it for what it really is. Uh, Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is the place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Uh, a lot of, not much trembling at God's word, not much seeing it from the God of the universe, the one who made everything, who sent his son to die for us. This is his very word. We need to raise our understanding and respect for the word, which is really, as we'll see in a minute, a respect for him. You see, if we honor and respect him when we come together and we honor and respect his word when we come together, we have respect for it, we're going to have more attentive ears to hear what God has to say through his word, and that's what we need to learn here. Uh, so we have here, the people stood up. Then notice verse 6, back in, back in I keep missing Ezra and Nehemiah. It's Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, verse 6, uh, then, uh, then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. This is implying he's praying, by the way, speaking well of the Lord. That's what it means. It's implying he's praying. He blessed the Lord. That's the great I am, the self-existent one, the great God. You want to prepare for receiving his word and hearing it tenderly. You've got to see your God is great. You've got to see your God. You've got to see him rightly. That's one of the things we do before in the service. One of our thoughts is get our hearts and minds on our great God. Get our hearts and minds focused on who he is. Uh, have a real reverence for him. We sing of his praises. We exalt his name. That's what we're doing here, that we will be ready to hear God's word. And so he blessed the Lord, uh, the great God. Psalm 119, establish thy word to thy servant as that which produces reverence for thee. Your word should make me revere you. I need to pray that. You need to pray that. And so he spoke well in the context. And this is we need to get our hearts right before we come to the word of God. You see, they were attentive because all this was happening beforehand. All this was happening beforehand. They were, they were, they were um, focused on his word. They were respectful. Uh, God was exalted as Ezra, or as, as, as Ezra exalts him. And then notice all the people answered... Amen, amen. You know, an amen's okay every once in a while. We get so, uh, we got to be careful, you know, what we say in, 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 in this assembly. You know, the charismatics take it to the extremes, right? You know, it's, it's, it's like, we're, we're going to go to lunch. Amen. Well, they didn't mean to say that. They've been saying amen the whole time, right? You know, but the reality is, this word amen, it is amen in Hebrew. That's where we get it from. It means true, trustworthy, truly or surely, surely like like it's the truth. What you're doing is you are affirming the validity or veracity of a declaration. If uh, someone says God is great, you say Amen. That is true, absolutely true, absolutely true. You say May God be glorified. You're saying So that be true. You see what I'm saying? Amen. Amen. Okay. 
they got, he blessed the great God and they all said, Amen, Amen. Right? And then notice they lifted their hands. And this is a gesture, I believe, of humility. And again, we're so shell-shocked from the charismatics, which you see it all in the flesh. Uh, the reality is, most likely, historically speaking, when they raised their hands, the posture was like this. It's an, it's an open to God. It's, it's a posture of humility. Because you notice what they do right after this point is they bow down. They bow down. Try bowing down with your hands up like this. It doesn't work, okay? The reality is, we kind of take this, people get excited and they go like this, you know, whatever it is. You know, we don't know their hearts, but I don't think I would want a, fa- a hand in my face, right? The reality is this is a sign, a gesture, a physical gesture of humility. Humility. I think that's what's going on here. Now, please don't judge people where their hearts are. They may be truly you know, yielded to the Lord. We don't know that, okay? But the reality is here they were humbling themselves. They were like, I'm yours. And we need to come to the word of God like that. Lord, I'm totally yours. And they, notice what they did. They, then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is all before the word was read. It wasn't like they were standing for the whole reading. They stood. He blessed God. Uh, they acknowledged amen. They went like this and went down on their knees. And they praised and worshiped the Lord as we see. They worshiped him. You see, this is what needs to happen for us to be attentive to the word of God. We need to worship the Lord. You know, that's what we were doing earlier. We were singing his praises. We were worshiping. Hopefully your heart was doing that. Your heart was bowed down before you. Praise him. Praise him. Jesus, our blessed redeemer. He died for our sins, right? We were praising him. If you're not worshiping the Lord, you're not going to hear the word of God. You're not going to be attentive because it's still all about you. And you know what? That's why some of these churches are so bad, because all their worship is geared towards how you feel. It's a rock concert for you, rather than praising him and worshiping him from a heart that is bowed down before him. That's the way we need to come to the word of God. And if you are not doing that, you're not going to be attentive. You're not going to hear with understanding. And maybe that's why the walls of your spiritual house are all torn down and they're not being built up. You're hearing the word every week. Now, it could be you don't know the Lord, but maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe your heart has not been humbled before him to see his word rightly and to see him rightly. When we have a proper reverence for the Lord and a reverence for his word, we're then going to listen intently. If we don't have that, we're not going to listen intently. You say, you're thinking about everything else in the world during this time that we're here to hear the word, you've got to fight against that. You need to say no. You need to focus your heart. You need to turn your attention to the word of God. And so here, they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So we see here the preparation that we need to have for the word of God, the preparation that we need to have to be rebuilt First of all, we need to have a strong desire for his word. And we need to place ourselves in the position where his teachers, not your teachers, his teachers can teach you the word of God. And we need to come to the word with the right heart of reverence and for him, uh, worship for him, and a reverence for the authority of his word when we hear it. And you see, then God, as we will see with these uh, Jews, will work in your heart. Work in your heart. So how does God 
restores people. He restores, how, how does he restore the spiritual walls that are broken down, the gates that are burned with fire, that are off the hinges? How does he do it? Well, we're going to see he does it through his word, working in his people. But first of all, there needs to be a desire for it. And maybe your desire has waned. Things have gotten in the way. Uh, you're never going to be restored till the Lord and his word is your desire. So we're going to see. Secondly, we need to be in a place to listen attentively. We need to listen attentively, which means we need to see God rightly and worship him. And we need to also see his word rightly and revere what he says to us. So as we gather, you know, we, we, we're going to be fighting those little battles, those little sand ballots and Tobias, uh, Satan tempting us to think of anything and everything other than what we need to think of. And we need to fight the good fight of faith. And we need to prioritize in our hearts God and his word. And believe me, when that's in, in reality, when something's very important to you, you prioritize it, you pay attention, right? And so we need to do that. And so with that in mind, let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the example of these Jews. Lord, and forgive us for how distracted we've been so many times. So many times we haven't listened attentively. And Lord, I thank you that you are teaching us through your word that these things are written for our instruction uh, to whom the end of the ages have come. Lord, help us to begin to prepare our hearts when we come to church, to teach our kids to prepare their hearts to hear your word. Help us to revere you, to worship you, to uh, focus on you, and to have a high respect for your word, because we know it comes from your mouth, and it is your word that you use to change us, to make us like your son Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't have a desire for your word or has a fleshy desire uh, for your word. I pray that you they might examine themselves to see if they know you, to see if they've tasted your kindness. Lord, I pray for that. And then for those of us who know you, may we be those who obey your word and yearn for the pure milk of the word that we might grow in respect to salvation. May we learn to revere you more so. May we tremble before your word when we see it rightly. Protect us from all the distractions and all the things that pull our hearts away. Help us to be diligent, to be attentive to your word and let you change us through it. So, Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.